Hey everyone, welcome to the Sliving with Sickle Cell podcast. My name is Barbara Biosa and I am a sickle cell warrior, CEO and fashion designer of luxury women's wear clothing brand Dimabai and founder of the Gideon's Treasure Foundation and I am your host today. From the Queen Paris Hilton, sliving means slaying and living your best life. We all deserve to do this. I'm here to bring you all the fabulous tales, the struggles and the triumphs of living with sickle cell anemia and running a business with a disability. There has been many highs and many lows, but I think it's important to share your stories and journey. We will be discussing some important topics and inviting some amazing guest speakers to share their experiences and their journey. This podcast is dedicated to help spread awareness of sickle cell anemia, uplift and build a community of ambitious people who may have a physical or emotional challenges that make being an entrepreneur or following your dreams that much harder. Today's episode, we are discussing finding purpose through your pain. My fashion journey with sickle cell. I think that creativity and passion plays a huge role in the recovery and management of sickle cell, not in a scientifically proven or physical way, but in a mental capacity. As we all know, mental health and mental well-being does have a huge impact on your physical health. Having something exciting to look forward to makes a huge impact. As a child, whenever I was unwell or had to go to hospital, fashion was my, always my escape. It was my hope. I remember as I got older, I would ask my mum to bring my sketchbook to the hospital so I could draw and it would give me so much joy. It helped a lot with my recovery as I realised that at that particular moment in hospital, I may have been physically restricted, but the very moment I am well, nothing and no one can ever stop me from achieving my dreams. As long as I take care of myself and I know my strengths and abilities, I could soar. When I was 10 years old, my mother owned a clothing boutique in North London and would travel all around the world and buy goods and sell them. Um, my mom also bought materials and had tailors working at her store, making custom-made clothing for clients. You can see where I get it from, right? <laughs> it was there I learned about sewing and found an interest in creating. It also allowed me to have access to sewing machines and equipments I needed to create clothing. So I had everything at my fingertips, which was such a good start for me because, um, of course, like I, I had access to everything I could create and do everything from the comfort of my own home, which is such a blessing. One of the longest periods I stayed home from school was when I was about 16 years old. I was doing an A-levels in fashion and clothing at a local school at the time, but had to take two months off due to my health. As I had big crisis, and needed time to recover after being in hospital for two weeks. So I had been working from home. When I returned back to school, there was an upcoming deadline. I asked my teacher if it was possible to get an extension as I wasn't able to get the same guidance working from home. And to my surprise, she said, no, it would be unfair to the other students. I was a little confused and upset having to go to hospital and recover at home was not my choice. Despite my medical letters and explanation, my teacher knew nothing about sickle cell anemia. These are some of the issues that come with an invisible illness. Some people who may not know anything about the condition prior to meeting you may find it hard to acknowledge the seriousness of the condition. 
this made me realize that life may be unfair and you can't always rely on people to make exceptions for you. But what I did have control over was my talent and ability to work under pressure and persevere no matter what. That's my superpower. And no one can take that away from me. Not sickle cell, not teachers, employees, etc. I was able to get all my work done and meet deadline. And to the surprise of my teacher and the whole class, I made a beautiful garment and had the best project in class. Um, That was a major life lesson for me and showed me that despite my health condition and challenges, I could still succeed. During my time working from home, my sister helped me buy a mannequin so I could do my projects. I binge watched Project One Way, a reality TV show, Finding the Next Fashion Designer in NYC. I was obsessed. Who else watched that show? I loved it. It was so good. Um, They filmed the show at world-renowned fashion school Parsons in New York City. It was my dream school since watching that show. And many successful fashion designers had studied there and it became an achievable goal. From then on, I worked extremely hard and got accepted into the Bachelor of Fashion Design course at Parsons. This was a big eye-opener for me as I realised that with hard work, any goal is achievable. My experience having to work from home without guidance from my teachers when I was a teenager allowed me to become very independent and helped prepare me for studying abroad. I learned to take care of myself and juggle my health condition with my work. And because of my passion for fashion, the work always felt like a hobby. After studying my first year at Parsons in NYC, I transferred to International Fashion Academy in Paris um, to pursue my love for haute couture. This was a French school in Paris, which was taught in English. It was perfect. I loved it. I actually discovered this when I was during the summer period when I went back to London from studying in New York. Um, I took my mom to Paris for her birthday and it was just like a big thank you because I know that growing up my mom was very overprotective so for the fact that she allowed me to go and study abroad was a big uh, deal especially with my health condition and being the youngest. It was something that you could tell she was like very scared to do. And um, when I moved to New York, she actually stayed six weeks in the dorm room with me to help me prepare (laughs) for my new life in um, New York. So um, during the summer, um, I took my mom to Paris and then I fell in love with the city. So I've always been interested in like French fashion, couture. That's always been my my passion, my love, what what excited me. Um, But actually going to the capital and seeing um the city and going to all the iconic places and seeing all the fashion brands I was like oh my god I have to be here so I made the big plunge I found this school and I kind of just went on this big kind of like um impulse and like I'm moving to Paris and it all worked out and it's it was great so I moved there and then I was there for two years I graduated in um my bachelor degree and I stayed for an additional two years Um, During that time, I worked for various prestigious fashion brands between London, Paris and New York City, including Gareth Pugh, Roland Murray, Cynthia Rowley, Alison Olivia. Um, There were so many great designers that I worked for and um, it was really an eye opener for me. Um, University was better than kind of school, I guess. Um, I was having less crisis and I had explained to my teachers 
of my health condition and they were more flexible with my with me working from home so on the days I felt under the weather I could work from home um of course there were some teachers and classes that required me to be in class like CAD um computer aided design um but I found a good balance and that worked for everyone and I think that's so important because I've spoken to a lot of warriors who have said that during their university studies is when they actually got like worse for them because of the stress of the work and then also all the uni parties and everything like that. I think my advantage was um, just, you know, I was doing something like fashion that I learned from a very young age. That was something that I could do from home on my own schedule and that I could do all my projects on my own time. Um, Obviously, I met deadlines and stuff like that, but having something that I knew that um, gave me so much joy gave me so much excitement and that I could really do it within my own schedule. Like I could do it from the comfort of my own home. I think that was where I had the kind of upper hand and where I actually kind of um, thrived in university as opposed to it being like a stressful situation because I had that introduction when I was 10, seeing the tailors working for my mom. And then when I was 16 and going through all those stuff and realizing. So I think by the time I got into university, I was actually a pro at like, balancing and navigating um working from home and meeting deadlines and stuff like that so in university I definitely thrived um and I had a good balance I knew my body I was listening to it. I knew my strengths my weaknesses my abilities and I knew that I could I could manage this and I could do this and I chose a, a course and a project that I loved that I could I knew that I could succeed in and um, which I always kind of advocate and why I created this podcast is to show you that to just even just um, share that there are ways to how like having a purpose, having a passion can really um, help you navigate uh, your career world. During the internship days, I did my first internship in my first year at Parsons in New York City. I was 19 years old. And so up until now, I had only done like part time jobs. As a waitress, um, I did babysitting in Paris. Well, they called it a, um, I was a translator, a French, uh, English translator for children, but the children were like four years old or uh, or babies. So I was basically a babysitter, but they tried to make it like professor d'anglais, you know, to try to make it more professional and sound like I had a, a, um, a position as a teacher but really I was just like looking after um children and speaking English to them which was fun because it was um I would do it after school some days like two hours two days a week and then Wednesdays um in France there's no school so um I would do all days on Wednesdays um and it was good income and um so that's what I did in Paris and then in New York I did like part-time waitress and I would do like one or two days a week and that was because um when I moved to New York, there was just so much food and stuff. And all my, all my um, friends were kind of either like um, crazy rich Asians. So they always had a lot of money because they were all the international students studying at that school were really rich because <laughs> the school fees were crazy. And then like the other friends that were like on American and on student loans, they had kind of the income. And I needed, I was like, I wanted to go out. I wanted to have enough money to like go out to eat. Like New York is a melting pot of food and I'm a foodie. So I was like, I'm going to do an uh, um, a part-time waitressing job. It was in um, downtown Brooklyn, which was close to downtown Manhattan, which was where the school dorms were. So I was like 
staying at a dorm that was parallel to um, Wall Street. So I was right in the um, financial district. And um, yeah, the waitressing job was like part time, um, a few days a week. And I got loads of tips. It was quite great. And so none of the jobs really caused me any issues. They were very flexible hours. And um, yeah, I never really got crisis from doing stuff like that. So it was um, when I got interested in the world of internships, <laughs> that was a whole new world of intense. It was like I was in a Devil Wears Prada movie. <laughs> no joke. Fashion is a real dog eat dog world. I at first absolutely loved it and I still love it. Like I, I think I have the thick skin for the fashion industry and this is why it really fits in with me. But um, I loved running around New York City, Paris, London, or whatever city I was doing the internship in, running errands, learning about the fashion industry. But I would say the weather condition in the cities, especially during winter months, um, was where it really became a struggle for me. Um, as my internships in New York was held from September to February. So when I first moved to New York, it was like end of August. And normally you're not meant to get an internship within your first semester, but obviously I'm a rebel and I applied for a bunch of internships and I got two. So I was juggling. And if I go back, I did a foundation um, course in London before I went to New York. So I had transferred a lot of credit. So I didn't have to do some um, subject like color theory and stuff. So I had a lot of credits. And so with my spare time, I actually did internships and uh, yeah, I was doing like two days a week or one day a week for each um, company that I was working for. And it was in preparation of their show at um, New York Fashion Week, which would have been, I think, February. So it was like a three month or so internship that started like end of September to like February um, or January, sorry. Um, so yeah, it was really great. But so starting from September, it was great. The weather was still good. October was still okay in New York. And then November was when I really experienced the cold. So luckily the year I was in New York was the year it didn't actually snow. So prior to that, everyone was telling me, oh my God, it snows every year in New York. But the year I came, it hadn't snowed, which I was like, yay, God didn't bring the snow because he knows that it's too cold for me. But then at the same time, it was still very cold and it was probably, it was way colder than London, what I've experienced in London before. And um that took a toll. I did go to hospital, I remember, at one point during that period. And I remember having to miss some days off the internship. Um, and I remember, like, at first, because I always tell people prior to the internships, it was okay. They were like, I, I told them, like, I have this health condition, by the way. Here's my medical letter. Sometimes I'm unwell. And at first, they were completely cool with it, fine. And um, And then when I actually started having to miss time, and then it was coming closer to the deadline of fashion week and the stress was going up and they needed everyone's help. And then I wasn't able to come in. That's when it became like a proper issue. And I remember every time I missed work and came back in the following week and each time there was always an annoyance or a disbelief. I am very glamorous. I believe that every day is a runway and I love to express myself through fashion, especially as a fashion student at the time. So I was always in six inch heels, glamorous hair and makeup. And I thought I was all that and a bag of chips. <laughs> I still do now. And so we all should, we all should think we're all that. Um, but it was hard for employees to understand or believe that I was unwell or why I had to take a lot of time off work because every time they saw me, I looked fine. 
I wasn't the stereotype of disability or a sick person. To them, I was the complete opposite. They couldn't fathom that this hot piece of ass, <laughs> I'm kidding, they saw um, in the office had a disability. Um, <laughs> one December late afternoon, they sent me out to carry two huge rolls of heavy wool fabric, four blocks. Um, and I remember, so the company I worked for um, was in the fabric department and um, they had a pattern making office that was four blocks away. And these were big blocks. They, it must sound like very simple, but it wasn't. And the annoying thing was, is that there were people who worked in the building, these strong kind of men who carried a lot of boxes and stuff like that all the time. So the fact that they asked the very slim, um, like, girl who had a disability and, you know, sometimes wasn't in work to take these like very heavy wool fabrics that were actually bigger than me and probably heavier than me on this like pusher stroller to go and do this. That was like, I feel like already I was thinking, hmm, this is a bit odd, you know, I've never been asked to do something like that. Usually it was getting fabric swashes and going to fabric stores and getting stuff like that. And this time it was like, carry this stretcher with these two very heavy fabric that's bigger than you to go um, four blocks um, in the cold, freezing weather. And um, it was like, because it was winter, it was getting very dark. So I remember it was probably maybe like 4 p.m. or something like that, but it, outside was already very dark. And so I went because obviously it's an internship, you do your, you do your duties, you, you, you go ahead and do it. And I remember halfway through, the thing was just too heavy for me to carry and my hands were freezing. I was freezing. Um, and so I ended up calling the office and just being like, please, can you send someone out to help me? And they were very annoyed about this. Um, so I had to wait in the cold and they sent out an intern. And I remember them saying that, you know, like, we didn't hire you for like, you know, um, so somebody else can help you with your task. So we did it. We got there. She helped me. We got back to the office. And I remember getting back to the office and they were kind of standing there, the managers that were managing me. Um, they were basically like, um, yeah, we need someone who's reliable and who's not going to um, ask the other interns to help them do their task. And I got fired. And this was an unpaid internship. And, you know, I'm doing this for free. You're already aware of my health condition. Um, I've given medical letters. I've explained everything. And, you know, it was actually very kind of upsetting. But at the same same time, at that time, I was kind of done with the internship and I was doing another one at the same time. So I kind of was like, oh, at least I'm still going to go to fashion week because I'm working with another brand. But and I kind of just brushed it off and was like, ah, oh, okay. But looking back now, now I've gotten older and seen like, now I, you know, I run my own internships with my business and I have students who come and work for me or graduates and stuff. And seeing that, how wrong that was, how, you know, you shouldn't treat anyone like that and especially someone who has expressed that they have a health condition and you know that they're they have limitations and I feel like it was almost like a deliberate kind of task they wanted me to do because I had missed some days off the internship and I I hate the fact that because they always saw me and thought that I look fine was probably the reason why they didn't have as much empathy or compassion um whenever I was unwell or maybe they just didn't believe um but anyway so that was one of the kind of you know major things I realized like wow like this is wrong <laughs> and I don't think I would have gotten that 
level of treatment if maybe I had a disability that was very visible. Like, for example, if I had a wheelchair or if I had something that showed everyone that, you know, this is, I think I would have, a lot of companies, they go out of their way to really, you know, help people who are disabled or have things in place and being who I was, glamorous and, you know, confident and having this invisible illness, I felt like I wasn't believed and that my condition wasn't given the same compassion as other conditions. And that's just how I felt from that situation. Although some of my experiences as an intern wasn't the best, this still inspired me to have a go at starting my own brand and being the change and being the different and being open and helping and having that compassion and empathy for um, people. And um, I think that it helped me to see what not to do. And also I learned a lot of lessons, but it also showed me what not to do and what I could do better. I always wanted to have my own clothing brand. And after working with these designers, I learned a lot about running a studio. So I took the plunge. I opened my first atelier in Paris initially. It was like a small, basically it was a small atelier. It was like I rented a little studio space and it was while I was still living in Paris and um, I would create samples and participate in little fashion shows. Although I had not yet officially launched my brand, this gave me the opportunity to experiment with different textiles, um, build a strong brand image for Dumabai. I used all the footage and content received from participating in the fashion shows and trade shows to create a website and an Instagram page. Unfortunately, I had to move back to London um, because it was it was hard. Like I was paying for rent, I was paying for the studio space, and it was I realized that if I was ever gonna be successful, and I was really young. I did this when I was like 23, 24. So um I think moving back to London, I needed to kind of like build a stronger foundation and um, yeah, just grow a little bit. So I moved back to London and with my parents. Um, so it was like free rent, don't have to pay. And they had a garage in the backyard that was just used for like, <laughs> it was useful as a dumping ground. It was used for like junk and like old stuff. And so I came and I was like, I'm using this. I'm putting this to use. We've lived in this house for like, I think at the time we lived there for like, I don't know, like 10, 15 years. It was just there, like just catching dust and spiders and stuff. And I was like, I'm going to use this for a workshop. It's big. It's a double garage. And um, so, yeah, I got like, um, uh, well, coming back to London and realizing that you have a bad credit and a CCJ was a shock for someone who wants to start a business. (laughs) So this was kind of like end end of 2016 and beginning of 2017. And I came back and I realized that um, back when I lived in New York and I needed to send my all my stuff from New York back to London, I had an issue with FedEx. So I was given a price online or on, over the phone and it was all confirmed. And then when I got the bill, it was a different price. So I think I argued with someone over the phone and then like I said I was only going to pay the agreed price that was given. And so the remaining caused a CCJ issue. And these letters were coming to my parents' house. But after New York, I moved to Paris and I was there for four years. So this was like four years worth of debt that or it turned into a CCJ a year later. So it was like three years worth of debt. And I came back to 
London or thinking, oh my God, like I've got access. I was going to all these networking events and stuff like that. And I was like, wow, I've got access to all these lines of credit and like I can get a, a startup fashion loan and this loan and that. And the next minute it's like, you have low, you have bad credit, you have a CCJ. And I'm like, what? So that was kind of a dampening in the starting of my business because most businesses in the UK, um, you have access to startup there's something called startup loans and whatever field you're in, they even have one startup loans for fashion and you are able to get 25,000 straight off the bat if you just register a business. And it was so hard because I was never able to get any of this lines of funding or credit because of an issue that I had with FedEx that was years ago that I didn't even know existed. So that was really dampening coming back to London and realizing that other businesses are able to thrive and have startups and do things like attend I wanted to attend um, trade shows. I wanted to make pieces so I can, you know, hire a sales agent or PR agent and all this stuff were very hard because I never had that access to funding that other businesses were. So that did dampening, but it did not um, make me quit or stop. I had to get like those like really crappy payday loans (laughs) and I renovated, um, my parents' garage, it was smaller, it was like 5k or something. And I renovated my parents' garage and I turned it into an atelier. And um it was great. And I kind of launched in Mumbai that year. I have been blessed since to participate in fashion weeks and competitions around the world. Um Dimabai has collaborated with amazing prestigious fashion photographers, stylists, and talent for breathtaking editorials in and articles and features in Vogue, in um, Hello Magazine, um, in so many amazing and incredible magazines um, around the world. Um, We have since gone on to showcase our collections in Paris, Shanghai, Dusseldorf, and become a profiled London Fashion Week brand where we have the opportunity to showcase our collections during London Fashion Week each season. This has been a credible achievement and the most exciting part is that how much I love it and how much joy and excitement and how much purpose it has brought to my life. Um, My faith in God, my strong support system from my family and my passion for fashion motivated me to learn to listen to my body and take care of myself and manage my illness and stay well as I had dreams of a bright future to look forward to. This is the kind of support system that I'm aiming to create with my sickle cell foundation, Gideon's Treasure, in honour of my uncle Gideon, who was a sickle cell warrior and sadly passed away in 2011 from complications with sickle cell at a young age. Our mission is to use my growing platform to um, help spread awareness and support people living with sickle cell anemia and other chronic illnesses through free creative workshops, informative and entertaining events and building a strong community. I think that's what, you know, fashion was for me. It was having something that excites you and gives you a purpose that you're hopeful. I'm very hopeful for the future. I'm excited. And even though there's been ups and downs, there's been struggles with the the business. Um, Right now we're fundraising. So um, I was so used to having that amazing opportunity to have a workshop and to ha- work with interns and a small team and having that amazing, incredible 
vibe and um, atmosphere of just creating magic. And that's what Dumabai has always been. It's just creating beautiful clothing that empowers women. That um, Our slogan is exotic couture for the goddess and all women. And I feel like when you see our clothing, when you wear our clothing, it um it leashes the goddess that is in all women, the confident, amazing woman um that we all are. And um I think, yeah, fashion was has always been a self-expression, is that you can be whoever you want to be, and no matter the obstacles, no matter what where you find yourself, your project that you're doing, that there's always hope. And um, yeah, right now we're fundraising and we've got so much exciting things that we're planning for the future. And we're so excited for you to be on this journey with us. And I listen to a lot of podcasts and when I'm sewing, especially because I either listen to music or I listen to a podcast. And it's so funny because people say like running a business, it's so stressful. But I think when you do something you love and it feels like a hobby, it actually... Uh, for me, fashion just, I feel like I, when I'm doing it, it like releases these kind of endorphins and I just feel like great, good vibes. And like when I'm sewing something or creating something, you know, vibing to music, I'm feeling like I'm living my best life. And um, I think that's so powerful in the recovery and management of sickle cell. And like I was saying, I listen to podcasts and I listen to a lot of like entrepreneur podcasts. and. Um, what what really inspires me and excites me is that a lot of these podcasts are like experts in their films they're super successful and um but they're sharing the times when the hard times and how they overcome overcame these hard times and I think that's the most inspiring part because when you're when you're pursuing your dreams um as much as you love it and it gives you excitement and joy it is hard. There are times when um, you may feel like, oh my God, what is this all for? And, you know, like, when is there going to be a major breakthrough or like when a door that you're knocking on doesn't open? It's always just having that hope that like even the, the most successful entrepreneurs out there, they had like major roadblocks and major challenges. and. The key thing from listening to all these like um, experts, for me, what always inspired me was just, you know, the perseverance that they never gave up. And I think that's just the most important thing that wherever you are in your journey, like I feel like I'm just beginning and, um, and my pain and knowing where I've come from and knowing my purpose and why I'm doing this. Um, it never, I never let my pain stop me from pursuing and fulfilling my purpose. I have used my passion to overcome my pain and I believe you can too. Find your purpose through your pain and always remember to slay and live your best life. Thank you so much for listening to today's Sliving with Sickle Soul episode. Please subscribe and like our Instagram pages and give us a five star rating on your um, favorite podcast platform um, if you enjoyed um, this episode and all the content that we have been sharing 
If you have a question or if you would like to be a guest speaker and share your story, please send me an email. Details in the episode description. Love you. God bless. Mwah.